You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. In 1908, the Times asked a number of authors in that time to write on this topic. What is wrong with the world? J.K. Chesterton, a philosopher of the day, his answer that he submitted was the shortest one that was submitted. And he simply wrote this. Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, J.K. Chesterton. Chesterton understood the reality of Psalms 14. He understood that all of humanity is ruined by sin. Outside of Jesus, every person ever born has been inflicted with the disease of sin. So when we think about what is wrong with the world, we have to look at our own hearts first and admit that it starts with us. I am the problem. In Psalms 14, David is lamenting our brokenness, but he's also helping us gain wisdom in understanding the world that we live in. This psalm is a combination of wisdom literature and lamenting genre. There are two words. Well, first of all, before I jump to that, let me give you some things that are unique about Psalms 14. Psalms 14 is unique in that it is repeated in its entirety in Psalm 53. So if you turn your Bibles to Psalms 53, you'll find almost the exact same wording. It's the only Psalm that is repeated in the book of Psalms. The only few changes is one, the name that they use for God is different than the name in Psalms 14. Paul also quotes Psalms 14 in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It is his desire for them to see that both Jew and Greeks are under, or Gentiles, are under the curse of sin. And so he uses Psalm 14 as a proof text for that. In fact, some, some scholars believe that as Paul is writing Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, that he is constantly going back to Psalms 14 to help him think through the depravity of man, to think through the fact that man is ruined by sin. And so he keeps going back there in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3. So there are two words that you could use to describe Psalms 14 or outline however you would want to say it. The two words are depravity and deliverance. The two words that describe Psalm 14, and we'll see this in verses 1 through 6, is depravity. And verse 7 is deliverance. Depravity is speaking of this inherited corruption that all of us have. And deliverance is speaking of salvation that comes, that salvation, of salvation from this Corruption. So depravity is inherited corruption. Deliverance is speaking of salvation from this 
corruption. So let's look together at our depravity, which leads us in verse 7 to pray for deliverance. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul said, or Paul David says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. David begins with this idea of the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now what David is talking about here when he's talking about a fool is he's not talking about someone who is ignorant. Someone who is dumb if we want to use that term. That, that's not what he's talking about. And he's not even talking about atheism in this moment. Although we often use this text as a text for atheism, he's not really even talking about atheism. This idea of not believing in a God. He, he, he is actually talking about aggressively and intentionally flaunting an independence from God and his commands. So he's saying a fool says in his heart, and really the translation would be a fool says in his heart, no God. The, the translators added there is no God as a means to help us understand it. But if you read it in the Hebrew, it simply says no God. And it is this idea that a fool is one who tries to live independent from God. A fool is one who says, I don't really need God. There is no God. I can live whatever way I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do apart from God because there, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. What he's saying is this is practical atheism. It's living as if there is no God who will hold them accountable for their actions. This makes them a fool, right? That they live as if there is no God. Psalms 51 and verse 5, David, as he is lamenting his sin with Bathsheba and confronted with it and confessing to God, in Psalms 51 and verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin did my mother conceive me. There's this inherited corruption in us where we live as if there is no God. Paul works this out for us in Romans chapter 19. And I want you to turn there with me. I'm not going to have it on the screens or go on your phone there to Romans chapter 1. In verses 19 through really verse 32. And I want you to see the outworking of what it means to live as if there is no God. What foolishness looks like. What this, this cause of depravity is how I would put it. This cause of depravity where it comes from. You can see as you read this why Paul would be thinking about Psalms 14. But here's what he says. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So there's no excuse to say there is no God or to live as if there is no God. Look around the world that we live in. Verse 21, for although they knew God, 
And this is what's going on where they say the fool says there is no God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. They're foolish. There's that same idea of the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, then, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And that men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their heir. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they were living as if there is no God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is a great interpretation of Psalms 14 and verse 1. And do we not see that in our culture? The cause of depravity is independence from God. The fool says, I can do what I want. I can be what I want. I can act whatever way I want to act. No God is going to tell me who I am or what I'm supposed to do. This is the cause of depravity in verse 1. Verses 2 and 3, we see the scope of depravity. Look at it. It says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. As the Lord looks down from the heavens on the children of man, as he is scanning the earth, the Bible says, and he uses these words, they have all turned aside. There is none who does good, not even one. As if the Lord is taking a thermal night vision camera and looking over humanity to see if there is at least one person who lights up with the understanding of who God is and even at least seeking after God. And what does he find? He finds that it is completely dark. There's a, this is the scope of depravity. It has spread to all of us. Not one person in this room can escape the depravity of man. Say that. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 3 when he quotes Romans, when he 
quotes Psalms 14. He says this in Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. As David is thinking about man, he thinks about this idea that there is, no matter if you grew up in a Christian home, right? If you have a good heritage, or you grew up in a Gentile home and there's no thought of God, doesn't matter. We're, no one is righteous. This is the scope of depravity. It affects, it infects us all. Then verses four through six, we see the result of depravity. He says this, have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. I think in this we see four results of our depravity or of their depravity. The first is they persecute God's people. It says there, all the evildoers eat up my people as they eat bread. As natural as it is for them to eat the bread, their bread for dinner, they will devour God's people. The depraved heart eventually grows more and more callous in its feelings toward the things of God and the people of God, which leads to even mistreating the people of God. This is what happens to a depraved heart. This is the result of it is they persecute God's people. And we see persecution all over the world. And that is a result of depravity. But not only do they persecute God's people, they do not need God. That's what he's saying there when he says they do not call upon the Lord. This is the idea of a relationship with God. They do not want God, seek God, or desire to know God. There, there's no desire for a relationship with God. They say, I, I don't need God. It is like when a boy breaks up with his girlfriend and all of a sudden wants nothing to do with them, right? Doesn't reply to texts, to DMs, to Snapchats, doesn't reply to anything. It's like ghosted him, right? This is what the depraved heart does. It doesn't desire God. When we talk to the depraved heart, to the depraved person about God, they roll their eyes at us. Like God has nothing to do with this. You've seen that where you've given God the credit at your job and saying, man, only God could do that. And the response is sort of this collective, like, oh, please, right? Like you did that. You did the hard work of that. You're the one that made it happen. That's the idea is there's no need for God. I don't need him. That's the result of a depraved heart. Verse five says, there they are in great terror for God is with the generation of the righteous the third thing that we see as a result of depravity is that they live in fear. Yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 
says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's coming a day that we all will give an account of our life to God. And the person who has a depraved heart lives in fear of that day. That one day they will have to stand before God and give an account of their life. He contrasts how the depraved person lives versus the righteous because he says, for God is with the generation of the righteous. The, the depraved person lives in fear where the righteous person lives in peace and comfort because God is with them. That's what he's, he's contrasting the depraved person versus the person that's been delivered, the righteous person. Think about it in this way. Someone breaks into your house while you're at home. You go hide under your bed and you get your cell phone and you call 911 and you call the police to come. And when the police come to your house for you, the presence of the police is peace and comfort. But for the robbers, the presence of police is terror, is fear. For the depraved person, the presence of God brings terror. This is what he's saying. The result of depravity is, is that they live in fear. But isn't it funny because they portray that they don't, right? Depraved person acts, that's the ultimate pride is I've got it all together. Everything's good. I'm not afraid. But the depraved person lives in terror of that day of standing before God. Verse six, you, he said, would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. One translation puts it this way. You want to humiliate the oppressed, even though the Lord is their shelter. The idea of this one, a result of depravity, is that they live in frustration. In the depraved person's attempt to humiliate the poor or oppressed, they live in frustration because God is a refuge and shelter for the poor and oppressed. As much as they try to shame and humiliate God's people, the more frustrated they become because God is there for them. Jesus told this to us in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. In verse 10, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus reminds us that he is a shelter for us in a world where you're trying to be humiliated in a world where you're, they're coming after you. I, I like how Matt Chandler puts it when he talks about the book of Philippians. He says how frustrating Paul must have been to people who wanted to persecute him and hurt him because they would say, we're going to kill you. And Paul would say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, right? Like, ah, I'm trying to get at you. 
Okay, then we're going to let you live, but we're going to take everything away from you. And he would say, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself in, right? So for the depraved heart, it's frustrating that we live in light of God and that God is with us and and for us. Verse 1 through 6 of Psalms 14 leaves us feeling the weight of depravity. If you can listen to those first six verses and have joy in your heart, you don't feel the weight of your sin yet. Because that, those six verses cause us to feel the brokenness of the world that we live in. In reality, we are all practical atheists. We all are depraved. We all persecuted God's people. We all acted as if we did not need God. We all lived in fear and frustration apart from Christ. But thankfully, our story doesn't have to end with our depravity. This is the hope of the gospel. As we feel the weight of verses one through six, now we can begin to be buoyed back up to the surface because of a deliverer that is coming. Look at verse seven. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. David now leads the people to address God in prayer. They are called to pray for God's salvation. Your translation may say to pray for God's deliverance. And where is that deliverance going to come from? It's going to come out of Zion. This takes us back to Psalms chapter 2. In verse 6, where we're talking about this king, a physical king, but eventually King Jesus who would come. And it says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Zion is the location of God's temple and throne. It is the place where God revealed his presence, protection, and power. Salvation comes from God. And how did salvation come for us that are caught in the depraved world? Salvation came through the person of Jesus Christ. The word used is salvation there in verse 7. That word can be transliterated Jesus. Guess where Jesus died? Guess where Jesus was buried? Guess where Jesus rose again? Guess where Jesus ascended into heaven? Guess where Jesus poured out his spirit? And guess where Jesus sent out his disciples? From Jerusalem, from Zion. Our salvation has come. Our deliverer has come. As we feel the weight of our depravity, it buoys us to deliverance from Jesus Christ. That he has come to deliverance. It's why Paul doesn't end with there's none righteous, no, not one. He continues to write in verse 23 through 25. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but our story doesn't end there and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over our former sins. 
Today, you can be delivered from your depravity through the person of Jesus Christ. Today, you can know joy and gladness in your heart, even in this broken and depraved world that we live in because of Jesus Christ. See, in the Bible, there are two types of people. There are the fool and the wise. There's the unrighteous and the righteous. There's the depraved and the delivered. There's the sinner and the saint. There's the lost and the saved. There's the children of darkness and the children of light. There's the children of devil and there's the children of God. My question for you today is this, which one are you? Could you say, like J.K. Chesterton, when asked what is wrong with the world, could you say, I am? That's to understand the depravity of our hearts. That I am the problem. But thanks be to God, Jesus is the answer to the problem. Deliverance has come. You don't have to be bound to your depravity anymore. It doesn't have to weigh you down. Jesus has delivered you from that depravity through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Today, if you would say to me, Steve, I, I find myself on the depraved and the sinner and the lost and the children of darkness and the children of the devil side. It's as simple as this to move from one side to the other. It is to admit that I am the problem and to believe that Jesus is the answer. It's not their problem. It's my problem. And today, if you would admit that you are a sinner and believe that Jesus is the answer to your sin problem, to your depravity, the Bible says this in Romans 10, In verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued. Rescued from what? Depravity, the brokenness of the world. Some of you in this room today have been delivered, but you're living like the depraved. Paul calls this walking in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit. We have been delivered from our depravity, so let's not keep going back to it. Paul would say, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? How does he respond to that? By no means. No, we've been delivered. Let's live as delivered people. Let's live the grace of God that has been shown to us. Let's live the love of Jesus that has been shown to us. And so today... If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you right where you're sitting. You can be delivered from the brokenness of this world through the person of Jesus Christ. If you'll put your faith and trust in him alone. Listen, 
a lot of people uh, know the truth. A lot of people have it up here, but it's never got to here. You may have never verbally said, there is no God. But if God looks down from heaven and follows your life around, he sees a person that doesn't need God. That is just as much as the atheist who says, I don't believe in God. And so a lot of us have a lot of head knowledge, but it's never moved from our head to our heart. And I would say to you, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that you can move from darkness to light. Today is the day that for the first time you can understand the grace of God and that because you are at your core broken, because you are at your core depraved, you can now be delivered from that through the person of Jesus Christ. By his grace, I want to invite you to right where you're sitting, say yes to Jesus. And for those of us that believe it, have been delivered, let's live like it. Let's not be the people that they watch our lives and say, I could live that life because they live as if there is no God. Let's be the kind of people that we're so dependent on God that is noticeable to the world around us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalms chapter 14. And Lord, I know it is a heavy psalm. It was a heavy one to study this week and to feel the weight of my own depravity apart from you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room that is far from you, I pray today that you would draw their hearts to you. I pray today that they have seen the weightiness of their sin and that today they would respond as David did where he said, let's cry out for salvation from the God of Zion and that your deliverer has come and his name is Jesus. And may they say yes to you today. I pray, Lord, that they would know that this comes from a heart of love. I would be unloving as a pastor not to preach Psalms 14. I would be unloving as a pastor to coddle them in their depravity and not say there is a way to be delivered from their depravity. And so I pray that they would see the heart of this pastor. That I say these things because I love them and desire them to be in right relationship with you and delivered from their depravity. And then Lord, I pray for those of us who've been delivered. Help us not, Lord, to live as if there is no God. Help us to live in such a way that our dependence is all on you. Help us to live in such a way that as people observe our lives, that they would say, the only way I can know that person continues to function and to, to speak in the way that they speak and live in the way that they live and act in the way that they act is because of the God that they follow. I pray that our lives would be so marked by you that the world around us would glorify you and make much of you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.